0: Good morning all of you. It's great to see you. Uh, I can see a lot of names on the on the screen, so great to be able to see some of those families there and uh, you know, awesome to see some faces here as well. So as Luke said, we're currently in this series, Becoming Emotionally Mature. And I had to decide this morning, actually, to think, like, I need to be emotionally mature about the Springboks win and Liverpool's win yesterday. Like, it would have been a lot harder this morning if both of those had gone the wrong way. So it's, it's, it's at least set up the right way. But, but I have found it surprising how myself and others can often disconnect our emotions from our walk with Jesus. We can, we can have heads full of fantastic theology. We can hold on to the promises of God and declare His goodness total disconnect when we get excessively angry um, you know, in, in traffic or get envious or jealous in our hearts when someone else has something that we want or get offended at, at, or blow up at like, these little small comments. So our, may, our emotions may not be what leads or guides us, um, our discipleship, but they certainly are an indicator of how our hearts are doing and in turn, therefore, uh, how our following of Jesus is going. So our handling of our emotion with maturity is directly linked with our maturity in Christ. So in this series, we're looking at ways of growing into emotionally mature Christ followers. I'm going to warn you that today we are going deep and we are going vulnerable, but it's worth it and it's right. Today we'll look specifically, as Luke said, at at loss and grief and how we embrace God through these things um, in an emotionally mature way. What a relevant topic for this season, hey? Uh, I think it's a unique time in history where never before has the, the, the statement the entire world is experiencing loss and grief is not an overstatement. There are very few times in history where this has been such a global experience of loss uh, for all of us. So I'd like to start by, by setting the backdrop for us. And let's go right back to the beginning and track with me, if you will, in Genesis. In Genesis 2, verse 15. Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So folks here, Eden represents God's perfect plan for us. All of God's creativity and, and planning went into making this perfect place for us. And it's not just a pretty garden. It's, it's a place where humans are emotionally whole and it's in close companionship with, with each other and with God. Eden is what God had in mind for this world. But then we all know how the story goes. In verse 16 of Genesis 2, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then we skip forward into chapter 3 in verse 22, and we see here, Then the Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, a sword flaming and turning to guard the way of the tree of life. The fall. It's like the breaking of an enormous dam, evil and pain just flooding into our world. The pain of broken relationships and the brokenness within ourselves, and most importantly, this brokenness between us and God. It's the death of Eden, the death of God's perfect plan for us. And because of this, we're born into this world of disappointment. Every single human being has this latent memory or longing for for Eden. We're holding on for peace, for wholeness, to an end to this rampant evil that we see in the world. Something inside said, this is not how the world is supposed to be. And you know it, right? We all experience this loss. The death of a spouse, a friend, a parent, the death of a dream or a hope. For you, maybe it's infertility, your parents' divorce, perhaps your own divorce, family breakdown, singleness, aloneness, marriage, a goal you had to abandon. Maybe your body's starting to fail you. Perhaps you've carried wounds from your past. Perhaps it's mistakes you've made, an abortion, destructive habits, decisions. Perhaps you're grieving the loss of friends who immigrated. Your kid's leaving the house. Maybe it's even your dog that's passed away. For me, I realized while preparing for this, I feel an enormous amount of loss over our business over the last 18 months. And I I haven't really processed that. 16 years of building and so much loss. I feel like I've been treading water for 18 months in the middle of a storm, in the dark, just waiting for this dawn to come. Now, I realize that there are people here today who've had to live through far weightier events in their lives in the last 18 months. And it'll be easy for me to say, well, you know, so-and-so lost their child, and so, you know, my, what I carry isn't real, isn't real loss, but all of our lives are touched with all kinds of grief in one form or another, big or small. Don't make the mistake of thinking because it's smaller that someone else's loss that it doesn't need to be dealt with. We can carry many different losses uh, in our hearts at one time. And yes, this is ordinary life, but it's, it's not how it's supposed to be. Loss is only a part of life because we live in this post-Eden world. So my question to you this morning is, how, how do you view these, life, these events in your life? What's your default of, way of dealing with this stuff? Can I suggest to you that our coping mechanisms often have had a detrimental ripple effect on our lives? If we're honest, most of us don't grieve well. We want to shrink it, avoid it, ignore it, medicate it. There's a time and place for medication, so please hear what, please don't hear what I'm, what I'm not saying. But we also medicate with, with, with TV, sex, alcohol, church stuff, surfing, running. We shallow, shallowly cover over our losses with, with these sparkly smiles, unaware of how they stay with us. And our culture pushes it on us as well. Fake plastic it, Instagram it, good vibes only. Don't allow anyone to see that you're not in control. And don't admit it to yourself, or certainly don't allow anyone to interrupt your movement and your success. On the flip side, we, we spew our emotions over everyone we meet. We want people to feel the pain that we're feeling. We want to wallow in hopelessness. We live in the throes of constant emotional turmoil, spraying our emotions on everyone, unfiltered and empty of hope. This is not dealing with our losses. I wonder, what do you do? Friends, the stakes are high. What happens if we don't find a way to deal with our loss and disappointment in an emotionally mature way? Losses that are not grieved accumulate in our soul like heavy stones that just weigh us down. When our pain and grief goes unexpressed or unfelt, our hurts get buried alive. As a result, we lose access to the depth and the range of feelings that have been given to us by God, and our emotional lives are compressed into tightly little constricted boxes. Eventually the feelings we bury claw their way back up through the earth of our lives and they manifest in symptoms like depression and anxiety and emptiness and loneliness and a range of mental and physical health challenges. These feelings and symptoms end up shaping our present and then our future relationships as well. Year after year we avoid the difficulties of life and minimize our failures and our disappointments. The result is a widespread inability to face pain. What we fail to realize in all of us is that a refusal to embrace our sorrows and to grieve them fully condemns us and our churches to a shallow spirituality that blocks the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, okay, fine. I get it. I need to deal with my stuff. I can hear you saying it. But how? God's way. For the time left we have today, we're going to look at four things that should help us respond to loss and grief and hopefully encourage us to swap our cultural and temporal lens that causes only more pain for God's life-giving, hope-filled lens. There's this new brand of sunglasses called TENS, and they have this Kickstarter campaign going on to help them bring their custom lens tint to the market. And it promises to make everyday life look and feel ten times better. So tends of this popular brand um, around the world because of the unique custom lens tint. They make everything brighter than any other sunglasses while still protecting your eyes. All of the lenses feature UV 400 protection, blocking 100% harmful rays so you're fully protected. So I joke about that, but actually looking through God's lens will do that for us today. Friends, it's time to recognize the destructive patterns, throw them off and take hold of God's way. It's time for us to look at a paradigm shift. Before we do this, we're going to watch this video of Common Ground Couple and Nicole and Graham and their journey through grief um, and loss. I'll give the tech team just a a minute just to to load that video up. So why don't you watch that with us, um, and then I'll join you afterwards.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Graham, and this is my wife, Nicole, and our story begins 14 years ago when our Second daughter, Zoe, was stillborn.
2: I had had problems with my first pregnancy, and so I was what was considered a high-risk pregnancy for the second one. We'd had a couple of scares through the pregnancy, but we got through to 38 weeks and everything seemed fine, and we took a deep sigh of relief because we thought everything was fine. And walking around Sainsbury's, I went into labor. Got into bed that evening and suddenly realized that I had not felt Zoe move at all during that day. Um, So the next morning went off to hospital and they couldn't find a heartbeat. Um, And at that point we were then told that, as happens with a stillbirth, uh, you actually have to give birth, Uh, they will not do a caesarean section. It devastated me for months, months and months and months. Um, I couldn't spend time with my daughter, my my first child. because she looked so similar to Zoe and every time I looked at her, I saw Zoe. Um, I couldn't have conversations with people, I couldn't leave the house. I was just completely in the depths of grief for absolute ages.
1: I, as the man of the family, obviously went into protector mode and and had to organise things and coordinate the funeral and greet the visitors. and. As a result, my own grief got put very much on the back burner, and it wasn't really until five years later that um, (laughs) a member of the Common Ground Congregation actually confronted me and said, you know, this is not going to get better on its own.
2: It occurred to me many months into my grief journey that actually, as much as I tried to avoid it, I'd actually swallowed a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that, bad things don't happen to me because God's looking out for me, um, and therefore the death of my daughter, it, it shouldn't have happened. It didn't make sense in in my worldview. I was so angry with God, I couldn't pray. And that disturbed me greatly because if I couldn't go to God with what I was feeling, how on earth was I going to get through this? And I shared that with my mum's group at the time. Uh, we used to meet once a week to, to pray together, a group of mums, and... And I shared this with them and I said to them, you know, you guys are praying and I can't join in. I can't pray with you. I don't, I don't know how to talk to this God who I'm so angry with. And one of the women turned to me and she gave me a big hug and she said, Nicole, you don't have to pray. You don't have to do anything because that's what we're here for. We will pray for you. We will bring you to God. We will uphold you. We will love you. We will look after you. We will be the link at this point between you and God if that's what's required. And we will just hold you in the season and it's okay. Coming home one day, I'd been having a long conversation with God over many months about this. It wasn't something that got resolved very quickly. And I can remember pulling into my road and that small voice of God whispering to me and saying, who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? Because you've got to make a choice. You've been wavering this whole time and, and you, need a, you need to make a decision about what you actually think and believe and, and where you actually stand. And in that moment, realizing that even if God had allowed her to die, even if, worst case scenario, there was actually his plan that she should die, which I don't believe, but even if that was the case, that he actively set out to kill my child, he is still the Christ and he still has the words of eternal life. And I would rather be on his side, even in the midst of that terrible trauma, than be on the other side of the fence. I just felt God's unwavering love and acceptance of me that I was still his child I was still dearly beloved and that as many tears as I had wept he had wept even more he'd wept for me as well as weeping for the life that Zoe lost that she didn't get
1: we as a society are not comfortable with grief and many people try to say helpful things like you know, God's in charge, or God has a plan, or um, at least you're young enough to have another. (laughs) Um, And they do that because they don't know what to say in the face of such a tragedy, and so they they grasp for something that they hope will be helpful. Um, But it is so important to allow people who are grieving to grapple with the hard questions, to grapple with the possibility that everything they've believed is a lie. Grief doesn't go away. You don't get over it. It's something that you learn to live with, to learn to live around. It becomes less painful over time. It becomes less in your face. Um, and But it still surprises you that you'll be you know, going through photographs and suddenly you'll see something that will remind you of a time or a place. Um, and you'll find yourself in tears again.
2: The rule of thumb is two years uh, for a grief. So on average, it takes you two years to get to the point where it's no longer raw raw and all-consuming and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And so, yeah, after three months, people kind of sweep it under the carpet and stop asking, and that's not helpful. Um, It makes you feel like you've been abandoned or that nobody cares about you um, or cares about your grief. So keep asking.
1: Sharing your story with others is a very good way to help you process what has happened for yourself. Um, The Living With Loss Redemption course is a place that you can do that. Many people find uh, counselling, either uh, Christian counselling or or professional psychiatric counselling, helpful. Um, But your grief journey is yours and it is unique to you.
2: From my own journey, I want to just encourage you to say, however bad the grief feels, however dark the darkness is, however deep the hole may feel, that you feel like you can't crawl out of it, Um, you look up and you're at the base of the valley and the mountain looks too high to ever get over. There are days where it feels like there's no point getting out of bed because It's just too hard and it feels like your life is never going to change and this pain is going to be with you forever and ever and ever. And I just want to encourage you to say, it's not going to last forever. An end will come. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, And I also want to encourage you to say, although you may not feel it right now, God is closer to you than you could ever imagine. You are not alone. He has got his arms around you. He is weeping over you for your pain. And he loves you with the most immense, eternal love. Um, However bad it feels now, it gets better. And God is with you in the midst of the pain that you are feeling right now, even if you can't feel him with you.
0: Would you pray with me? God thank you for your unwavering love for us. Thank you for your care, thank you that you are with us. And God thank you that we can bring all of it to you. <clears throat> our whole selves before you and that we can trust in a loving father. And you help us to do that today as we navigate the hurts and the loss and the disappointments of this world. Thank you for your redemptive love. Thank you, Lord. Um, you know, preparing for this uh, for this sermon, uh, you know, has been has been quite an emotional journey as well. And um, that's okay; it's it's good. Um, let's jump into the first point here: uh, trust in the compassion and kindness of Jesus. As I've said, there's no way that any of us will avoid loss and grief in this world. It's something worth being prepared for. And and rooting and and our trust to Jesus is vital before we experience deep loss or grief in our lives. What we trust in when grief and loss finds us is probably going to be the biggest determining factor in whether we will be matured or stunted in our growth towards Christ-likeness. Loss and grief, though, have a powerful way of eroding our trust in Jesus if we're not prepared for it. If we have not considered its reality and how it's related to Jesus, we can trust in the compassion and kindness of Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' reaction to Mary when Lazarus uh, passed away. We'll read from John 11, verse 33 to 35. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see Jesus wept. He wept. He's deeply affected. He gave no shallow platitudes. He didn't say, our loss is heaven's gain or God needs another angel. No, he wept. We don't see coldness or numbness or cynicism. Rather, his spirit is moved. Moved towards what? Being greatly troubled. The cry of his soul is, this is not the way things should be. This is difficult. This is painful. Jesus is experiencing the inner turmoil, the heart-wrenching emotion of loss. Friends, we can trust that Jesus cares and is deeply compassionate in our suffering. Again and again, we see this in the Bible. The hungry crowds, the bleeding woman, the blind man, the lame man, the demon-possessed man, the children. He's just a drop in the bucket. There are so many more references. And of course, there's example of us. It was his compassion for us that drove him to the cross. Compassionate people are are such a a gift um, in times of loss. The compassionate people who have experienced great loss themselves, whose compassion is birthed out of knowing this pain, not just imagining it, are gold. They understand in ways that others can't. Their compassion is birthed out of a knowledge of what it is to experience loss. And this is another reason we can trust Jesus in our time of loss. Jesus' compassion is birthed out of a knowledge of what loss is. He's not compassionate. He's not only compassionate, but he knows the sting of loss personally. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The sense of the gospel is a God willing to experience the great grief and pain of loss for the goodness of those who don't deserve it, us. God's ex- God experiences the loss of a son. Jesus experiences the loss of the riches and the glory of heaven, his dignity, comfort, status, reputation, and ultimately his life. God does not spare anything, not even his son, for us to be able to gain that which we have lost in the fall relationship with him. The gospel shows us how little we actually had apart from the finished work of Jesus. Everything we have is fleeting and temporary, always at risk of decay and loss and theft. We see in the gospel the truth that we already lost that of greatest worth, God himself. It's this perspective, if truly believed, that prepares us for loss. It gives us hope in loss. It equips our souls for the grief of loss. And it places loss in its correct place. It becomes a boat in the ocean of God's goodness. Imagine with me, if you would, stepping onto one of those huge ocean liner cruise ships. The ones with the cinemas and the water parks and the restaurants and the shops and the theaters. All of that. When you're on it, it feels like it's your, your whole entire world. Complete and consuming, possibly even overwhelming. Our grief can be like that. Sometimes it feels like it encircles us. It's it's our whole world. But if we zoom out, we see that it's only tiny compared to this giant ocean of God's goodness. And it's that goodness that we can put our trust in. As Christ followers, we look at the world very differently to those who are not Christ followers. And when it comes to loss and grief in Christ, we have the greatest resource for dealing with it, for making sense of it, and even attaching meaning to it. There's no greater resource for dealing with loss and grief than being in a personal relationship with Jesus. In him, we have a compassionate, attentive father, a savior who lost everything so we can gain everything of worth. Second one is lament with Jesus. God gives us this powerful tool in dealing with our emotions. Lamenting. It's not a very 2021 word. Sadly, it's something we've almost completely lost touch with. But it's a potent tool, and we see godly people throughout scriptures using lament as a way of dealing with their emotions. Jerry Brescia's definition of a lament, the cry to the Lord of distress, grounded in trust. Did you know at least that Psalms are laments? It's said of David, an author of many of them, he was a man of pain to God. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the days? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See what lamenting with trust looks like. God, I'm going to be honest about how this loss makes me feel, but I'm going to root this honest pouring out of my emotion in trust. I'm going to remind myself of the ocean of God's goodness. God gives us a freedom to pray this way, teetering right on the edge of irreverence, maybe even blasphemy. The point isn't here, isn't having a big vent at God. It's intimacy with God. It's not a spewing of emotion on the people around us. It's an honest vulnerability with a compassionate God. It's walking through the pain with him, allowing ourselves to face it and feel it, all the while being held by him. It's crying out to our Father with all the heart-wrenching turmoil in our hearts. Can I encourage you to take up this practice? Let's look at the third one. Wait with the hope of Jesus. In loss and grief, there's a time of waiting, that confusing, painful, where nothing makes sense, where we're not sure what God is doing and why he's allowed this loss to take place. It's a time of bewilderment and confusion, waiting for that cloud of grief to lift, waiting for life to feel normal again, waiting for some kind of peace and sense of meaning in what we've experienced. But friends, these moments of waiting, God is doing deep and meaningful work. It's not pleasant. A season of waiting is almost always confusing and disorientating. And the temptations are great. To fall into a pit of despair, to medicate or numb ourselves with some addictive behavior, or to stop speaking to God out of anger. 16th century spiritual writer John of the Cross described it as the dark night of the soul. Let's read what he says. God perceives the imperfections within us and because of his love for us it's not content to leave us in our weakness and for this reason he takes us into the dark night no soul will grow deep in the spiritual life unless god works passively in that soul by means of the dark night so it's in these confusing in between time that god uproots our self will he strips us of layers of our false self and frees us from these unhealthy attachments It's in these in-between seasons that we are emptied, and this emptying has one primary purpose. It's to make room for something new, something more Christ-like. So we desperately need to set the reality of the cross before us in these moments. That powerful display of Christ's commitment to us and our holiness. His enduring love that lets nothing separate us from from Him. His willingness to endure the darkest night, so that no darkest night that we experience will, will, will only ever be temporary. The cross of Christ shines hope into every dark night that we may experience, driving back that darkness, never letting it a night go without at least a candle of hope burning, reminding us who is for us and with us in these times. The cross makes Christ's commitment certain to us when all our circumstances around us make us doubt. Running away from God and our sorrows during these, during these seasons of disorientation does not heal our pain, it just only makes it worse. To heal and to grow, we must learn just to wait in the hope of Jesus. And fourthly, grow into a furnace-formed Christ follower. We must not miss the unexpected growth that can come through suffering. Emotionally mature Christ followers don't just endure in suffering, but they learn what God is teaching them through it. Loss and grief can turn us into furnace-formed people, people who are strong, deep, compassionate, understanding, People more like Christ, who was himself furnace-formed and made worthy of the cross. Christ endured life on the cross with all its temptations and suffering and loss and grief, and he did it perfectly. This is what made him worthy to go to the cross. In the same way, we are sanctified and made more like Christ through our grief and loss. When we resist the refining work of grief and loss, our growth towards maturity in Christ is stunted. But when we embrace loss and grief, and we follow the same path as Jesus, Through it, we are grown into furnace-formed Christ followers. You'll know a furnace-formed Christ follower when you meet them. They're gentle and kind. They know the hardness of the world, yet they know the gentleness of Jesus. They're humble. They have have first-hand experience of how little control we have in this world. They're deeply compassionate. They don't just hear your loss, but they share in your loss and your grief. And they know what loss and grief feel like. They know what it is to cry in the finality of loss. They have a depth, Shadow and insignificant and and temporary things have found their correct place under the perspective of their grief and loss. And there's a commitment to the things that actually matter. Significant things like family, people, community, God's goodness in the everyday. And they have a joy and gratitude. Less is is taken granted for. More is celebrated, big and small satisfied, contentment is found with being satisfied with what they have and simply being stewards of it, not owners of it. And there are people who know what it is to see the glory of God in everything, including their loss and grief. Could it be that hiding in the pain and grief and loss are treasures of incredible worth? Could it be that God has used the destruction of the four as a catalyst to turn us into worthy jewels of great beauty? And ask the band to come up, please. I'd love to lead us into just a, into a time of reflection on this. It's, um, I know it's, it's heavy, and I think you all will have found different ways um, and be thinking through different things. And so, Mark, as you just start leading us off um, in the background there, can I ask you just to, to come into a quiet place? Just to still your hearts in this moment of reflection. And I'm going to ask you to call out your pain. Call out your loss and your grief. Bring it to you. Name it. And know that we can release it this morning to a Father who is compassionate and who loves us. It's crying out to our Father with the heart wrenching turmoil in our hearts. Father, thank you that we can do that this morning. If you've, We've all experienced it in different levels, and there's nothing that's too small, too big this morning that God cannot handle. And an amazing word this morning that was sent to me by my sister-in-law in Kenya, really just feeling like God's speaking to those who have had loss that's led to disappointment in God. And God's saying, you can bring that disappointment to me This morning, to a father who you can trust, who you can love, and who loves you. And he wants to release you this morning. I really feel it's a recent place. Wherever you are, if you're at home and you're in a safe place, whether you're here, it's okay just to release it. We're going to sing a song now called How Deep the Father's Love. And for Megan and I, this is a. Not to the same level as Graham and Nicole, but when we miscarried and had to walk through that time and coming back to church. And this song was sang, and just it washed over us. And I pray that it just washes of you this morning how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that you would know that this morning. You can trust in the compassion, the love of Jesus. Don't hold on to anything, don't hold on to it, don't bottle it up. Jesus is here this morning with us as to release it from you to bring you into the light won't you do that this morning as we sing